Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. My guest today is a New York Times and USA Today bestselling and award-winning author of more than 45 books, including the long-running Lucy Kincaid series. Alison Brennan is currently writing another FBI series, and she has a book called North of Nowhere that just came out. Her book, Seven Girls Gone, is also being released as a mass market paperback this month. Uh, Allison lives in Arizona with her husband and her youngest two of five children. She loves cats, hiking, baseball, classic movies, and of course, reading and of course, writing. You can check out more information about her at allisonbrennan.com. And uh, so, Allison, thanks for being here. It's so good to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. It's it's about time. We've known each other for years I, now. <laughs> I actually know. I was like trying to think, well, I know I'd had you on before, but all of a sudden I was like, uh, I don't think I did. So that's my fault because totally we should have. <laughs> uh, well, I know we probably met like a decade ago at Thriller Fest, I'd say. At, so. least, at least I remember your first book. Was it The Pawn? The Pawn was my first book. Yeah. My goodness. That, so that's 2007. So that's yeah. ridiculously a long time. <laughs> well, um, but anyway, congrats on um, your writing, on the new books that you have coming out, Seven Girls Gone's being re-released, North of Nowhere is out. And um, I just wanted to say, first of all, you've written more than 45 books, literally. Wow. So do you find a, that a different process works for you for different types of stories, or do you kind of have like a system? that you throw your ideas into and you work out, you work out the story and you work out your books? Um, well, so when I first started writing, um, you know, cause you're a dad. Uh, <laughs> when I first started writing, I had five young kids. Wow. And I, um, well, actually when I started writing before I was published, I only had three, but then two came along. Um, but I tend uh, to do that. So what know, I did, sometimes. yeah, they do. They come. <laughs> um, but what I did is, I, I worked full time outside of the house. Mm. So I had to be very disciplined in my writing time. And the way I handled it was, you know, my kids were young. They, my two older were in school. I had a younger one at home. Um, and so I would work all day, get my kids from school, do all family stuff, dinner, baths. Um, my older, if my older kids had homework, whatever, they went to bed at between eight and nine. Um, and I would write every uh, night from wow. nine to midnight. Wow. And yeah, it was one of those things I gave up television, which mm -hmm. I love. I gave up, I mean, I, I gave up a lot actually, because, yeah. you know, Sunday was the only day I didn't write. That was family day. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, and Saturdays we often did things too, but three hours a night, every single night was what I needed to do. And I ended up writing five books in two years and sold wow. my fifth book. And it was really just a matter of telling myself, okay, this is the time I have to write. I don't have any other time. I can't write when the kids are awake. I can't yeah. write when I'm at work. I can't do this stuff. So I had to be disciplined. Um, I don't plot. So it's not like I have this like outline I'm going off of and I just have to fill in the blanks. I I hate plotting. I I won't do it. Well, we're and, on the same page there, so <laughs> it's so funny. Um, so I, and then fortunately, when I got my first contract, I took a huge leap of faith and quit my job. Like I said, five kids, wow. three of whom were not in school. Um, and, you know, it's like daycare was expensive, all that kind of stuff. So I said, okay, I'm going to take a huge leap of faith. Now, this is funny. Any, any working mom is going to understand this. Here I am. I had had a full-time professional job in the California State Legislature. Hmm. And I said, oh, well, I'm going to take my kids out of daycare because daycare is hugely expensive. And I yeah. wanted to be there, you know, with them. My two older kids were already in school. So my three little kids, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And they're going to let me write, you know. I'll just write <laughs> while they're playing or while they're doing this or while they're doing that. Oh, my gosh. 
I was (laughs) exhausted by the end of the day. There was no way I could even, I could barely even remember my name because (laughs) kids are hard work. And I think I learned the best of all worlds. I mean, I know what it's like to be a working mom where you have to deal with juggling and daycare and going to work and feeling guilty. And then I also was dealing with being a stay at home mom where you are so exhausted and it is also work. It's just a different kind of work. And it's, it's just as exhausting, just as, and honestly, just as rewarding. I mean, I was happy yeah. doing it. But however, at one point when I started having deadlines, I said, okay, yeah. um, my kids are going to go to uh, preschool. To, uh, <laughs> I think it was three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And those were the days I had to focus on my uh, right, right. And then when they were home, you know, was focusing on them. Mm. So it's it's all a matter of, of juggling and balancing and trying to find what works best for every individual author. Um, once all my kids were in school, they knew, I mean, do not ask me to do anything. Do not ask me to go on field trips. Do not ask me. I, <laughs> from the day, the minute they go to school, my husband drove them to school. The minute they went to school until they came home from school, that was my time. And so they mm. kind of, I, you know, that was my time to write and I had to be disciplined. I mean, one of the things you mentioned, you're like, oh, I had to give up TV. I had to give up a lot of things. You did give up a lot of things. And, you know, some people, I think, think that writing is easy and it can be sometimes you hit this you're in the zone or whatever it is but it is a lot of work and to really write something that's going to sell and and get out there um it takes sacrifice and uh, so i really respect you for that because um you know people who might be listening saying oh yeah i'll just write a book it's like literally it's not as easy as you might guess and it often takes sacrifices you know yeah. And you know, so you kind of asked what my process is. And I think um, I've a- adapted. I started seriously writing in 2003. Mm. Um, and I, or 2002, I sold my first book in 2004, but it didn't come out until 2006. You know how that is. Yeah. The first book always has this long lead time. Um, and so before I, when I was an earlier writer, I would just write my rough draft and mm. as fast as I possibly could. And then I'd go back. It was a, floppy copy and mm. I'd go back and I'd edit and make it better and you know all that stuff. Now I kind of took this from James Rollins. I heard him speak once um to a uh, writers group and what he said really resonated with me. And I don't usually change just because I hear somebody speak. Yeah. But I adapted what he does with his writing or at least what he did that way back in 2008 or 9 whenever I heard him speak is he writes 10 pages every day. Yeah, And then he prints them out and he edits them that night. And then the next day he puts those changes into the computer and then writes the next 10 pages. And so it's kind of like, you know, going circular where you're constantly editing, but you're constantly moving forward. And I do a version of that. I write all day. I don't necessarily limit it to 10 pages. Some days are really bad and I only get five or six pages done. Other days are really good. And I'm going to have like 20 or 25 pages. Wow. Um, But then the next day I go back and reread. I don't do it at night because obviously with kids, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, nights are usually with family, but um, the next morning I get up and while I'm having my coffee, after I do my email, Mm -hmm. I'll reread what I wrote the day before edit that gets me back into the story. And then I write the next pages. Hmm. And sometimes there have been days where I realized, oh my gosh, this is so bad. And I have to basically <laughs> just spend all day rewriting that chapter or whatever it is. Um, or I don't know where I was going with this. Why would my characters do this? This is so stupid. <laughs> delete, delete, delete. <laughs> that's that's very interesting because it's not too far different from the way I kind of do is I always move forward and then also review just about every day what I've done maybe the day before or a couple of days before and um, and try to chop my way forward. You know, there's this advice out there. Oh, you need to finish your first draft. Like just get like what you said, like a sloppy copy, like get it done, then go back and rehash it. And I'm like, that doesn't really work for me um, because if you make one little change, especially in like a police procedural or a, a mystery or thriller, you like you make one change on page 50. I mean, the whole trajectory of the story is going to be affected. Um, and so, yeah, I find that moving through it slowly, little by little tends to work best for me as well. Yeah. Well, and that's been a big change for me because I have deleted a lot of stuff, yeah. but um, I I don't like plotting. 
So I usually only start with an idea or a character or a premise. Um, like North of Nowhere, I knew uh, I was going to have two kids in a plane crash on the run from bad guys. I mean, yeah. and that's how I started it. I didn't even know until I was like, actually, until I completely rewrote the book that they were actually running from their criminal father. I mean, okay, I completely yeah. changed the book. I had one draft that just did not work. And my agent was very, I sent it to him and he said, mm, it starts too late. It's not really mm. working for me. Your characters are two dimensional. I just, I'm just not sure this is it. So I shelved it. And mm. then all of a sudden the idea, I realized exactly what was wrong with the book. And I deleted the first hundred pages, started with the plane crash and realized who the bad guys were and rewrote the whole thing. I love it. But you <laughs> had the willingness, the courage to do it, to actually say, okay, we're going to get rid of a hundred pages and, and make it work. Well, you know, you have to be able, you have to realize that not everything you write is gold. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes. And there have been scenes and chapters and characters that I've created that I absolutely loved. But then when I was done with the book, yeah. I said, you know, this doesn't add anything to the mm. story. And there was one in a book that actually comes out next summer called uh, You'll Never Find Me. It's the first book in a private investigator series I'm writing. Oh, wow. I have, um, yeah, another, yet another series. <laughs> but um, it, it's set here in Phoenix. So I moved uh, to Arizona back in 2019. And so I wanted to write a story set here now that I'm really comfortable with the area. And there was a scene I absolutely loved, and it was a secondary character who's not really important to the plot. Mm. He's important because he helps the main character with information. You know, he he's an important character because I need to have him in the story, but he didn't really need to have his own point of view scene. And he had this oh, big, yeah. long 20-page chapter. And I ended up saying, okay, I'm going to keep him the point of view because it's important, but I condensed it down to under 10 pages. And I, cause all of the stuff about his ex-wife and how she left him and all this kind of <laughs> stuff was completely irrelevant to the story, even though it was all good stuff and it helped form his character and who he was and why yeah. he did what he did. It was completely unnecessary <laughs> for the story. What was important was his conversation with this other cop and the information that they were able to mm. learn and then go forth and investigate based on that conversation. That was the core story. So I was like, God damn it. I gotta read all <laughs> but you know, you have to, you do what you do because you don't want your readers to be bored. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember some major changes that I've made at the last moment. And um, one book was due um, anyway, it was due in the summer and I ended up getting an extension till the fall. At, November 11th. They're like, we need this book November 11th. I'm like, okay, no worries. I'll totally get it to you. Well, it was November like 7th or 8th. And I was flying out to speak at a conference. I still didn't have an ending. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I was like, I've got to change who the killer is. And that was like the only solution I could think of. So I get to this airport in Cincinnati, right? And I call my editor. I'm like, guess what? I've got some good news. This book's going to be even better than we when we hoped. She's like, oh, it's good to hear that. I was like, I have to change who the killer is. And there's like this long pause on the other end of the line. And finally, she's like, as long as it's a better book, I trust you. But it was a huge change. I had to add a new character, change the clue progression, rewrite a numerous scenes. But anyway, it worked out. No one has guessed who the killer was for that book. So far, I mean, maybe some people have, but they haven't written to me like, oh, I totally guessed. So in the end, it was worth it. But it was quite a bit of work that I hadn't anticipated that I'd have to do. Yeah, well, we, you know what? That's the thing being a writer is, I mean, I love it. I will yeah. never want to do anything else, but it doesn't make it easy. You know, yeah. you're, you're, yeah. and I think every book you write, you want it to be better than your last book. And yeah. you want to constantly challenge yourself and you want to do new things. Like people ask me, oh, well, are you going to write any more Lucy Kincaid books? Hmm. And I have 17 in the Lucy yeah. Kincaid series. Yeah. And I want to write more books, but I needed a break mm -hmm. because I had no fresh ideas. Yeah. After 17 books, I felt she had gotten to a point in her career and in her life where it was kind of a turning point for her. She was now more confident, a lot of other things, but I just had no fresh stories. I had no fresh yeah. ideas for her. And so I said, I just need a break. 
Now, I do hope to one day write more Lucy books, and I mm. tell my readers that, but I don't have them scheduled, and I don't yeah. have them contracted. So yeah. until that point comes, you know, I'm just saying I hope to do it down, you know, down the road. But I have to have that right idea and the right in the excitement for it, mm. so I could bring her back. That's that's really the thing. And I think as a as a writer, you want to love what you're doing all the time, even mm. when you hate it. If that makes sense, <laughs> you know, it's like you always love your children. I mean, no matter what, they can't do anything that's going to make you not love them. But every once in a while, you kind of want to say, what are you thinking? <laughs> How would you do that? You know, and that's sometimes with, with stories, you just have to do the same thing. So what are the different challenges you've faced as far as writing a series and a standalone? What Was it a different like challenge for you or it's kind of just basically the same uh, process and, and um, that, that you normally gone through. I think a, a series is, I don't think one is harder than the other. Yeah. They're very different though. I, I did find them to be very different because a series, the first book in a series, and you know, it's going to be a series like my um, uh, Quinn Acosta book or then my upcoming angel heart series, the PI series, you're building a world mm. and you're building a world that has to basically be character centered because you're going to want readers to come back to spend more time with those characters. Mm. You're going to want them to like the characters. You're going to want them to care about what happens to the character. You're going to want them to say, Oh, I can't wait for book two because I want to see what happens with her family mm. or with the Quinn and Costa. It's not really romantic suspense, but they have a relationship. And so some people just want to find out, oh, what's the next crime going to be? Because every yeah. crime is different. Um, and some people would say, well, where are they going to go in the relationship? And it's also a team. So there's like, mm. you know, not just Quinn and Costa, it's everybody on the team. Well, what's going to happen to Michael or what's going to happen to this character? The people, you have to really build that and get your readers to care. Mm. So you have to care. And that can be hard just because they're so in a way so deep, you have to feel like you know them and exactly what they're going to do at any and all times. Mm. In a standalone, you have to do that, but you know you're never going to see the characters again. <laughs> it's a one and done. And so when I wrote North of Nowhere, I had to make sure that my characters were, uh, well, this slight digression. I don't like unlikable characters as my mm. protagonist. Yeah. And I know this is a actually my agent and I have argued about this before. Not really argued. We've had disagreed about this before. I have to like somebody in the book. I have yeah. to be, I don't have to like everybody or I don't have to like everything about everybody, but there has to be something I care about, a person I care mm. about, a character I care about that I want them to succeed. I want them to get what they want. Yeah. I want them to survive. If I don't have that one, I don't read the, I don't read books that I don't like anybody in. Yeah. And in fact, the biggest turnoff to me is if I'm reading like, reviews on Goodreads about a book that it gets a lot of buzz and stuff. So, okay, I might, I might want to go read that book. If somebody says there was not one likable character in the whole book, I won't read it Yeah, because I've done that before. And it just makes me depressed. <laughs> it's like, I have to like somebody. So anyway, so in my standalone, that's kind of how I built it. It's like, who's the story about? Hmm. Um, it was really about a couple of people and, um, but Kristen is 16 and she, I wouldn't say she was the main character, but she was one of the three primary characters. And I had to make sure that I liked her, even though she was a teenager and made some bad decisions that I could understand her and that I wanted her to survive. Yeah. Same thing with her aunt, who is another main character who made some decisions um, before the story began that kind of put her in this situation. And then Nick, who was in search and rescue. So it, but it's hard because you yeah. have to make sure it's a complete story that <laughs> everybody has a resolution and that at the end of the book, the reader is satisfied and isn't going to expect the characters to continue. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> yeah. I have only written one standalone book and I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. And then partly, you know, you create this world and you're sort of like, I kind of want to use it again because I spent all the time coming up with these characters and I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen. But um, yeah. So Allison, when you speak at writers conferences and teach classes on fiction writing, what are some of the things that you really try to emphasize when you're working with aspiring authors? Um, 
Well, that's a good question. I think it it really depends. I I like to try to be a little more motivational by trying mm-hmm. to explain um, to aspiring writers that no one or very few people, I know there's some people that have, but very few people sell their first book, mm-hmm. that you have to find someone you trust to edit. Mm-hmm. So like a critique partner or somebody, or even if you hire an editor, you have to make sure it's somebody that you're going to trust that gets your voice mm. because you, you have to have faith in your work at the same time you have to be able to take constructive criticism. <laughs> and it, it's a really hard balance because yeah. you have to know that you can tell a story, but also recognize that there might be some better ways to tell the story that mm. there, that maybe you're not telling it in the best way yeah. or, Maybe you use the word just 150,000 times in the book. (laughs) You know, there's things that every writer gets better. And I think one of the, um, you know, when people always ask, oh, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Hmm. Hmm. Um, You always get asked this question, sort of like where you get your ideas. Yeah. Um, It's that it doesn't get easier when you're a writer. Every book is harder. But because you're always trying to make your next books better, but at the same time as it's easier because you kind of know what's expected. Hmm. So I wish I kind of knew that it wasn't going to get easier. I had a a friend of mine, Mariah Stewart, she's written a whole bunch of books and I was working on my seventh book when she published her 20th. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was really struggling. I was really struggling with this book. Um, I had my books had hit the New York times list. I felt pressure like oh my god i'm never gonna be able to do this again am i ever gonna hit the list again i mean am i ever gonna write anything that anybody's gonna want to read and i think i posted on social media when she announced the 20th book i said something to the effect of oh my gosh i can't wait until it's so much it's until i'm like you and it's so much easier you know something like (laughs) that and she actually called me she gave me my first book quote and she called me and she said honey, it never gets easier. <laughs> I'm like, don't tell me that. Don't but tell me that. But it, it, it's true. It doesn't get easier, but that doesn't mean it gets worse. I've found that you, it doesn't get easier for me because I'm more critical now than I was 10 or 15 years ago because I know more <laughs> about telling a good story. And I read what I'm working on or what I'm writing. And I'm like, oh, no, I did this with point of view or whatever it is. And 15 years ago, I was like, I had no clue about that stuff. So I, I didn't stress about it because I didn't know about it. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that, that when you're, when I'm writing now, it's it's kind of why my first, you know, nine or 10 books, I was able to write the first draft all in one, not mm. one city, but like beginning to end. Yeah. Write one complete draft because I didn't think about point of view or description or whatever i remember i turned in a book once to my editor where i did not describe the main character at all yeah nobody knew what she looked like nobody knew anything about her like really i didn't i didn't didn't realize that you know thank god for editors um and i but i think now when i'm writing i immediately recognize when i'm going off the rails before Mm. i was just like oh my this is so much fun. Now I'm going, oh my gosh, I have to think about this. I yeah. don't, you know, and because I don't plot, um, some people will say, oh, you have to plot. And I'm like, wait, no, no, you don't have yeah. to plot. I have a whole workshop about not plotting. Yeah. Um, but I do now recognize if I something's not working yeah. earlier than when I used to. Um, when you're uh, like, we talked a little, you talked a little bit earlier about like finding a character you can really believe in that has not necessarily everything about them is likable, but they're attractive to you and you really want them to succeed. What are some of the other characteristics that you look for in like, when you're reading a novel, say that was an amazing story. Do you like twists, characterizations? Is there anything in particular that really draws you in to tell a great, to, to other people's great stories? Um, well, there's a few authors that I, you know, when you read a couple certain authors, you go, I'm never going to be this good. <laughs> and um, the one author that every single time I read one of her books, I'm like, well, I don't know why I do it because she is the master is Lisa Gardner. I read a Lisa Gardner book and I'm like, going, oh my gosh, she is, she is the best in the business. Mm. I mean, really one, you know, one of the best, I know there's a lot of really good authors, but um 
it's like when I read her, I'm like going, oh my gosh, she's amazing. I think with her, it's the um, the characters. First of all, she has very, very relatable characters, even mm-hmm. though they're not people, you know, they're people that do sometimes bad things or, but they're so relatable on the yeah. one hand, you really feel like you know them and you can relate to them like Dee Dee Warren or, um, you know, other, other characters that she's created. I recently read a book. It was a debut novel, even though it came out a few years ago. And I know I'm going to butcher her name, but I think her name is El Casamano. And she writes the Finley Donovan, Donovan series. Hmm. It wasn't her first book. It was her first adult book. Uh-huh. So she written YA. And I read it because several people had recommended it to me. And it was a little lighter. It was like more of a mystery than a thriller, hmm. if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and it was lighter and she was a mom of two. And I tend to avoid reading books about moms with young kids. <laughs> Been there, done that. Um, but oh my gosh, I was laughing by the end of mm-hmm. the first chapter. I said, this is an amazing story. I can totally relate to it yeah. because what she experienced, even though some of it was a little over the top because that was kind of the, the genre, um, it was so much fun. And I said, this was time well spent. And that's what I think I want my readers to think is that when they get to the end of the book, this was time well spent. Mm. So for Elle's book, it was, honestly, it was the characters. Yeah. Because the plot was a little bit over the top, but every single character I just really enjoyed, especially her main character. Her main character was just so well done. And I think that's what really draws me into Mm. books is are the characters like when i said earlier i have to like at least one of the characters yeah no i hear that sure yeah yeah no that's that's really interesting kind of the way you you know you're like i was laughing by the end of the first chapter and so it had an impact on you some stories make us laugh some stories make us maybe cry or or white knuckles or whatever we're really scared and and um and i'm finding the same kind of thing like the stories that really draw me in are the ones that affect me sort of impact me like if i don't care about anyone in the story or they're just literally all unlikable i probably i'm probably not going to finish the book either (laughs) and i and i don't like there was a book and i'm not going to say what it was um but it was the book that was you know recommended and everything and i i actually listen to more books than i read oh yeah so i'll check the audio i'll check the narrator and the narrator had a great voice and so i i downloaded it. i got an audible because i have an audible subscription now um and i was listening and you know it was a great voice so i listened longer than i normally would have if mm. i had picked up this book to read i probably would not have read it as long yeah and there was nothing inherently wrong with the story but it just didn't feel like it was going anywhere. Yeah. I just didn't feel any connection to the character. Maybe it took too long to get into the book. Maybe it took, I don't know what it was specifically about it. Yeah. But it was a little blah. Yeah. So considering, um, you know, how much limited time I have to I read know. and write, <laughs> I, I figure, okay, I'm not going to invest any more time. I basically, I, I listen to books when I walk every morning and I walk an oh, hour nice. every morning. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so if after two hours of listening, if I'm not invested in the story, it, that was it. So. Cool. Um, so I've been thinking a little bit about two things, rituals and distractions. So I'm going to throw a couple questions at you. So <laughs> first of all, rituals, do you have any like, writing rituals or unusual things like candles or coffee has to be on the right side when you drink or i don't know just different things <laughs> like that or are you like literally you'll write anywhere whatever you know whatever it takes to get the story done i'll write anywhere and yeah. in fact my first um 10 books i wrote at starbucks because like i said five kids we lived in a house that was not really built for five kids. And so I had no office, I had no place to write. And I was writing in the living room, which is obviously very open and (laughs) rug rats in the background and SpongeBob SquarePants and all this other stuff. And I'm like going, okay, I I have to leave. So I got a laptop and I wrote it at Starbucks. Hmm. Um, And so I 
that was when my kids were little. So I would drop them off at school. I'd go to Starbucks and write. And then basically I would eat my lunch at Starbucks and then I would pick them up at the end of day of school. I'd be there for like seven hours. (laughs) So my first 10 books I actually wrote at Starbucks. And then when I was on deadline, I would go to my favorite brewery and at night, like after the kids went to bed, I'd say, Uh okay, Dan, my husband, Dan, I said, you're in charge. If anybody wakes up or needs anything, you're going to be here because I got to get this book done. So I would, because I got so used to not writing at the house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Then when we moved into a slightly bigger house and I had my own office, the whole reason we moved was, so I had my own office. Um, I wrote and it took me about two or three books before I was comfortable writing in my Hmm. office. And so every once in a while, I'd leave the house for a change of scenery. Yeah, I'd take my laptop and go to Starbucks one day a week just to kind of recharge. Yeah. Um, but I learned, I wrote write at conferences. I've written, my kids all played sports. So when they had, mm. like my daughter had softball practice, I would write while she had practice sitting there in the stands. You know, I, I can really write anywhere. So I don't have a ritual per se. If I'm yeah. in public, I'll always be listening to music in my you oh, know, yeah, whatever yeah. music usually rock but um you know i kind of drown it out mm. because i'm so focused on the book um but yeah no i don't need to have a special candle and i don't need that i do have my um <laughs> my chocolate covered espresso beans though hey there you go when i need my little jolt <laughs> no that's cool yeah i like that that you're flexible be able to do that so the other one i was thinking was distractions so um, I mean, common distractions like email, social media, skydiving, and pickleball. Those are like the four that pop to my mind the first, you know, at, at first. But are there any that are particularly difficult for you? Because you mentioned a little bit with like a family or all around you, and you're like, I need some space. So, um, you know, sometimes it's tough for us, for authors to turn off the social media or the phone or whatever it is um, and actually focus. But I was just curious if you had any pet distractions. Well, I think I my distractions are um, I'm a the world's biggest procrastinator. So <laughs> even though I write three books a year, I procrastinate. And my biggest distraction probably is just um, I have an iPad. I have a bunch of little games. I'll play Words with Friends on it. Oh, yeah. I have these word games. And I will like whenever I like my mind wanders, I'll just go look at my iPad. I'll go click words with friends, play, um, you know, and then all of a sudden 30 minutes has passed and I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh my gosh, what happened? My other big distraction is research. Oh, I yeah. love research, Yeah, but it's one of those things where I'll be, um, you know, I'll be writing. I say, Oh, I have to look up something like where something is or how long it takes to get someplace or, you know, Oh, what is this thing called? And so I'll go on Google and I'll like, um, or DuckDuckGo, because I sure. get mad at Google all the time. So I'll go to DuckDuckGo and I'll say, um, oh, da-da-da-da, I'll type it in. And then I'll get down the research rabbit hole. Oh, no. Get, <laughs> this is interesting. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, I can't use it in this book, but maybe I can use it in another book. And oh, I got to print that out. And then all of a sudden, an hour has passed. Yeah. And I can't remember why I went <laughs> online in the first place. So that is probably my, actually, that's probably even a bigger distraction than the video games. Mm. There's actually been times where I've actually gone up and played um, on the switch because played video games and yeah. my boys have gotten me into different games and stuff. And it's like, okay, I can't do this. I'm, I, I'm a 50 something year old grandma now. I, I can't go and play video games. Instead of work. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, no, it's funny. For me, I don't know, I guess I have different ones, but the news is one. Like I always, during lunch, I always check the news and sometimes I end up scrolling through news feeds and it's probably not good. I just end up depressed whenever I look at the news. So I don't know why I do that, but. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do read, I have a couple things I read every morning just to, so I know what's going on in the world. And I will say sometimes Twitter can be a a slight distraction. I'll go down Mm. the Twitter rabbit hole and just like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. But I have found now that I, I subscribe to a couple of journals that I just read those and yeah, don't yeah. worry about all the other noise. Yeah. So I figure they're going to summarize the news for me if I need to know anything. Um, and if I need to know something that I don't know, then I'm sure my husband will tell me. You know, it's like, it's like oh, did you hear this? And I go, oh, no, send me the article. I'll read it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, 
so what would you this is a question i've never asked anyone before i was just thinking about stuff to um chat about and so here's the question what is the biggest lesson that you've had to learn the hard way as far as writing uh the biggest lesson i had to learn probably was um i needed to be a better financial planner okay because <laughs> that was that was really hard cuz being a writer your income is not consistent every year right. some years it's really really good and then the next year is really bad so if you don't pay enough estimated taxes you're not going to have the money the next year to pay them yeah. and then and it's kind of like a spiraling thing that was probably be the one thing I wish I had known from the very, very, very beginning because it took me years to get mm -hmm. out of, you know, debt because that, I didn't yeah. pay enough this year and then I have to go juggle. And yeah, that was really, um, that was a hard lesson. Yeah. What, no, was, I, the, what was the, what was the question? You probably oh, want to write uh, it. I mean, I just said, what's the biggest lesson you've had to learn the hard way? Yeah. Oh, that's probably the hard way because yeah. then you have to pay Sounds penalties like and interest. Way. Yeah. That was definitely not fun. Um, I also think as a parent that you have to learn how to juggle that writing is always important because it is my career, you mm -hmm. know, and it is my job. Um, but sometimes you need to put the writing aside because you don't want your family to boil over. Mm. Like, you know, kids have issues, they have problems, you know, bullies or sports or hard time in school or whatever, you have to be engaged yeah. Um, with everything that's going on with them. And sometimes you have to just say, okay, I'm going to put it. I used to have a really hard time putting aside the writing, even for one day. Hmm. You know, if I said, no, I have a deadline, I have to get this done. I have to put in my time. Yeah. But then I realized, wait a minute, I can come back to this. I can take two days to deal with a crisis that one of yeah. my kids is having or something in order and then just know okay i'll put in a little extra time this weekend or something like that because you have to be present yeah. for the kids you yeah. have to know you have to be there and know and be able to realize okay is this just a little thing oh you know boy trouble or is this boy <laughs> trouble you know or is, you know is the, are they are they just not wanting to do the homework or are they really struggling in something? Yeah. I mean, and you learn to, after five kids, you do learn to discern that. And you realize, <laughs> oh my gosh, all the mistakes I met with the early kids. Now, at least I didn't make them with the less, the younger ones, but then you make different mistakes with the younger kids that you didn't make with the first ones. It's like, it's like, what do you do? But um, yeah, that that's something that I, I don't think I learned it the hard way, but I think yeah. I was a lesson I had to learn yeah. um, while the kids were still young. We have this sign up in one of our rooms upstairs, wherever it says, it's got a picture of a rainbow and it says like, um, the work will wait while you show the child the rainbow, but the rainbow won't wait while you do the work, something like that. I saw it's pretty yeah. interesting. I kind of like it. It's like, sometimes the priority is look, I'm, I'll work this weekend or something, but I got to be there present for this moment, you know? And, and that's why I used to write at night when they were in yeah. bed. Yeah. Because it was like, okay, well, they're asleep. I can sacrifice sleep. I can, you know, and I did I, for, yeah. for years and years and years. But once they're all in school, then I, you know, then you have that time, you know, so I didn't do a lot of field trips, but I don't <laughs> feel guilty about that because I, I, there was not, unless I was away at a conference, I didn't miss any sporting events or mm. plays. You know, I went to every single one. And, um, you know, I missed a couple just because I wasn't in town, but honestly, I mean, I would never trade that for anything. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm, and so you were able to do both, like be there for your family. And also because of your perseverance and actually your dedication, write 45 books. So that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I don't clean. So, um, so I, I, I told my husband, I said, well, if you want to clean house, you can clean the house. I'll cook. I don't mind cooking. I like yeah, cooking. Yeah. Um, uh, but I'm not cleaning and I don't, and people think, <laughs> I, people think I joke. They really think I joke, but you know, if you look, so it used to in our house in California, my husband, and I had separate closets. Uh -huh. His was always immaculate. Everything hung up. His dirty laundry was actually in a laundry basket. Um, <laughs> 
It was very, very, his shoes were on the shelf, you know, by pair and, you know, everything was organized. You open the door to my closet and it's like chaos. And it's like, well, you know what? Just close the door if you don't want to see it. So, you know, he did take care of all that stuff because I wasn't going to. Well, and, that's good. Um, you have support. But you know what? I did cook. He doesn't cook. So yeah. you, have, you have to have that balance, right? <laughs> well, I don't know if I have any balance, but you're absolutely right. And having someone that supports you, who's close to you, your spouse, in, in this case, it's super, I think it, it it's pretty huge, actually. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. So you mentioned a little bit about North of Nowhere. Is there anything else you want to tell us about that book in particular or about Seven Girls Gone, which I know is going to come out in mass market here this fall? Well, um, North of Nowhere is my first standalone. And it's, uh, you know, it's set in Montana. It's a race against time. It's uh, essentially uh, two kids in a plane crash uh, running from the criminal father. Mm. and um, in Montana as a storm comes in. Hmm. So that was, that's kind of the premise. I was able to do uh, really focus kind of on the family dynamics hmm. and uh, it, it, it was fun to write. And it was also very different for me, yeah. uh, different, but the same, it was still a thriller. There was still a crime element involved, but it was, you know, different from what I usually do, which is police procedurals. Yeah. So seven girls gone is the fourth book in my Quinn and Costa series. Um, it's about, are you familiar with the um, uh, real life case, the Jeff Davis eight? It's a best basically in Louisiana, in the Bayou, there were eight murdered prostitutes and it's a, still to this day, it's unsolved. Oh, wow. So I read a lot about it over the years. And I said, yeah, this is just a really sad and interesting case. Yeah. And the more I read about it, the more I wanted to solve it. So I decided to kind of come up with my own story. And now mine is substantially different. Um, It's still, it is murdered prostitutes, but I don't personally think it was a serial killer that was killing Mm. them. Wow. Um, Even though that's what the conventional wisdom is, I think there was other reasons. So I explored the other reasons that somebody might've wanted these women dead. And then I came up with this fictional story. Um, And I put it in my Quinn and Costa series because, um, this is uh, the mobile response team for the FBI. I based mm. it on the real life evidence response team. Mm. If you know what the evidence response team is, is basically every FBI office or almost everyone has a group of agents who have a specialty and get called out. And I learned about it through Yosemite, the um, Yosemite murders. The evidence response team came in and analyzed all the evidence, investigated the crime, and it was very interesting. I wanted to have the mobile response team because I did not want to have it in one area. Oh, sure. So they, yeah. the first book took place in Liberty Lake, Washington. The second, they take place in very, very small towns. Liberty Lake, Washington, which is outside Spokane, which isn't very big on itself. Hmm. Patagonia, Arizona, which is a hmm. thousand people. Real life, it's a mining town in Southern Arizona, 20 minutes from the border. It was my second book. The third book was in the San Juan Islands. And then the fourth book was in a fictional town in um, Louisiana. And the reason why I made it a fictional town and created a whole community in the bayou was because I had corrupt cops. And if I was going to write about corrupt cops, I was not going to write it in a real town. I know my daughter's a police officer and I, I, you know, I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. Um, and then the fifth book in the Quinn and Costa series actually comes out in hardcover and end of January. And that's the missing witness. Yeah. Um, So so I'm keeping busy. No, that's, that's amazing. And writing three books a year is a totally a challenge for anyone listening. That's, that's no easy task at all. And um, so if someone is not familiar with your series, should they start with seven girls gone? Or should they start at the beginning of the series? What would you recommend people to do? Um, I write the Quinn and Costa series in order for each book to stand alone. So it's a complete mystery. The connecting thread is the characters. It's the team of FBI agents. Um, And Kara Quinn is an LAPD detective. Long long story, but about why she's assigned to this team. But you could start in the first book, which is The Third to Die, which Mm. actually I think is, no, it's not that. The third book in the series is discounted right now, I think in um, ebook because the Mm. fourth mass market is about to come out. Um, 
but I write them to stand alone. But if you like the connective tissue of the characters, yeah, then people like to read them in order. So the yeah. first one is the third to die. And, uh, but I do really, really try hard to make sure that they stand alone. So you could pick up the book almost anywhere in the series. Yeah. Because you never know when somebody is going to want to read the book. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. So, well, Allison, thanks for being on the show. I mean, I really enjoyed the conversation and I'm sorry that we didn't have, uh, we didn't have you on earlier. It was totally <laughs> my mistake because I was like, oh, I'm sure we've had her. I was trying to look at what. Oh, well, actually, no. So, but anyway, so just a couple of closing questions. First of all, you mentioned a couple of recommended books earlier, which you've read recently that you really like, Lisa Gardner and then the other authors as well. Do you have one? Well, I know this is not a fair question. So I'll just say that right off the bat. <laughs> what is one novel besides yours that everyone should read before they die? I know it's not fair because oh, it's probably, a, I know it's not, but okay. it's so fun. Well, My bookshelves are now full of, of recommended books from people. Okay. First of all, my favorite series is the J.D. Robin Death series. Hmm. I love that series. I've read all the books and now I'm re-listening to them all on audio oh, wow. because the narrator is so good. And I read a lot of the books so long ago, I almost don't remember. And I don't usually reread books. Yeah. Um, the Stand by Stephen King. Oh, yeah. to this day one of the best books of all time in terms of both suspense and characterization mm -hmm. um anything by lisa gardner um i'm trying to think i'm gonna look over on my bookshelf what i have <laughs> um you know it i don't know if there's any one book you have to read before you die i think that i mean i could always think oh the classic books like obviously the lion the witch and the wardrobe mm. i think is uh one of those classics that everybody should read whether you're a kid or an adult yeah. Um, Fahrenheit 451 is mm. still my favorite book that I was forced to read in high school. <laughs> still, I've reread that book multiple times. Great book. Um, uh, you know, I think every author should read at least one book in every popular series just so you can understand why it's popular. Interesting. Like, That's if you've never read Jack Reacher, yeah. Read a Jack Reacher book. If you've never yeah. read JD, JD Robb, pick out one. If you've never read Lisa Garner, just pick out one. Pick them random yeah. or something that just kind of you like the cover. I just, I've tried really hard to at least know what everybody is writing. So even hmm. if it's nothing, um, even if it's not really my cup of tea, at least I know, oh, this is a popular book. I can see why people hmm. like it. You that's know? good. I like that. Yeah. That's good advice. Um, so the second question that I like to throw at people is if you could, let's say, talk back to your younger self, maybe when you were a teenager, what is one thing you wish you could tell the younger Alison Brennan? <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I can't, I probably... I didn't start seriously writing until I was in my thirties after mm. my son was born. My yeah. Brennan number three, I call him sometimes, but he just graduated from college. He actually graduated from Texas tech here hey, <laughs> um, just this, this last summer. So um, I, I didn't really start seriously writing because I felt I had to, you know, get a job, mm. have a family, do all these things that you know you're supposed to do. Yeah. I wish I had taken my writing more seriously mm. when I was younger. I may not have been published any sooner. I mean, I was 35 when my first book came out. Mm. Um, so it, I may not have been published any sooner. I don't know. But I think I didn't have any confidence yeah. in my writing that I sometimes wish that I had had that confidence at a younger age that I just said, or didn't take it so seriously, actually where like, Oh, well, I can't possibly send this out. Cause this is so bad. Yeah. No, cool. I like it. So Alison, any closing thoughts or words of encouragement or advice for other authors who are out there with stories they want to tell? Um, you have to put in the time. I think that's really the most important thing is yeah. Love what you do. If if you knew today you would never be published, would mm. you still write? Mm. And if the answer is yes, then you at least have that passion to yeah. write. Um, 
but you have to make the time. You have to, you have to value your time enough um, that other people will value your writing time. Wow. Nice. And that that's hard sometimes because, yeah. you know, people will say, oh, that's, you know, you're just playing or it's just a hobby or, oh, you don't really expect to publish anything, do you? <laughs> you know, they'll say, make all these like passive aggressive, slightly critical comments. <laughs> and it, 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 it diminishes you, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, it's like all the, those little mean moms that make all these comments about, oh, you're raising your kids wrong or you shouldn't let them do this. And you know, it kind of gets to you sometimes. You're like, well, you <laughs> yeah. do the best you can. Yeah. You have to value your writing time. And if you do that, you're you're going to finish a book. If you just put in an hour every day yeah, or one day a week, if you can't, you know, some people have really intense jobs where they can't even think when they're done with work. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe Sunday you make that your day. You tell your family, you know what? Leave me alone Sunday for four hours. I'm going to Starbucks and I'm going to work mm. on my story. And right. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to get it done. Hey, I like it. You're right. Absolutely. Well, Allison, this has been just a great conversation. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. Is there a place online where people can connect with you or perhaps um, see when you have a new book coming out or maybe sign up for your newsletter? Um, yeah, well, first, thank you very much for having me. I always have fun talking to you, whether we're at Thriller Fest or here now online. Um, but my website, allisonbrennan.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-B-R-E-N-N-A-N. All of my social media is there on the main page. I have a blog called Murder, She Writes. You can click on that on the main page, too, where I like to talk about writing and books and things like that. Well, everyone, uh, if you're listening, I want you to check out uh, one of Allison's books, either the new one, um, North of Nowhere, or maybe one of her previous ones like Seven Girls Gone. Thanks for listening. Uh, and um, for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews, you can always search for us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, you can also click to the storyblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Fridays. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember. The art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and keep the stories coming. <laughs>